0: Arukai don't die lo he new melanchola has done so old the blood is who pet
1: me this who
0: You may have a find
2: share, <laughs> All right.
0: So is a backup in the hallway. Is these people leaving, staying? What are we doing? <laughs> All right, welcome and uh good Shabbos. It, We're it wasn't in unison, but we'll take it. Today is 25 days of the Omer.
3: Which is three weeks and four days.
0: Three weeks and four days. And uh, today is uh, portion Behar. And uh, today is a 10th of ER. We want to welcome anybody who's watching us from Torah North.
4: Shabbat Shalom. Eh?
0: Stephen and uh, Darnell Rogers. And um, and how many people are still in the kitchen?
5: Why are people in the
0: kitchen, Marianne? Janet. It's Janet's fault.
6: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Well can you can you sing? Yes. Can you sing? Can you sing? All right, so you guys need to sing with me. Why don't you all join in with me and these three fine men as we sing happy birthday to Olivia, who just turned 18? What? Yesterday? Day before? Today? Two days ago? Three days ago? Four days ago? Last week? Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday, dear
2: Olivia. Happy birthday to
0: you. All right. Lazelta. 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 Okay. So, um, with me? we are we are doing this transition thing. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, uh, five, six years ago, whatever it was, um, I led the Shakarit service, and then I... I led the Torah service, and there was nobody here but Scott and Suzanne. And then all of you started showing up. You know, Uninvited. Um, uninvited, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, now, the neat part is that as time has gone by, uh, we have had the incredible privilege of having some of the finest Torah minds show up and some of the finest Hebrew minds show up. And, I mean, did you check out the additional Hebrew song? that we learned today during the Torah service. Oh,
2: my goodness!
0: Well done. I was a little concerned, as were some of the other men, as we were setting up before the Torah service, before Shakarit began. And uh, I think Brock turned to me and said, "Uh, who's doing the Torah service? And I said, well, I I know Greg's not, because uh, he's in Colorado. And evidently he's in, where is he? She's in Colorado. He's in Colorado with your mother, which is a good thing. It's a misfit. So, uh, so I figured. Well, you know, we all just figured. Well, Jonathan will do it. But sometimes Jonathan is actually leading the Torah service for other people (coughs) that are of a different persuasion. But not yet. So anyway, Jonathan came, and he's sitting next to me. And as we're approaching the Torah service, he leans over and he goes. Who's doing the tour
2: service? Guess who? <laughs> <laughs>
6: ah!
0: And, uh, and then
6: where's Taylor? He's got he's the baby. baby.
0: Taylor's got the baby. With child. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor's with child. So, yeah, Taylor has been doing a bang-up job oh, on that. the shock service. And I think yeah. he's doing a super job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's great. So, um, I think it was Sean Wright who... Uh, on the, the last fourth Shabbat when he was here, he, he, or, or, or a month ago, he pulled me aside and he, at the end of the service and he said, uh, this, is, this is the way it should be. The guys step down, the older guys and the new guys step up, they learn how to do it, they practice, and they're ready to lead. And, uh, and that's exactly what uh, has happened as Peter has deferred to Brock and uh, Gregory uh, stepped in I think two weeks ago and three weeks ago, four weeks ago and led the tourist service as well excellent job, so we're just looking for these young men so does
7: that mean I need to hand it off to the next person? you don't yet, but but yeah find a guy who's ready that's right Wait, um,
2: a year
0: ago. <laughs> so I am uh, I am incredibly privileged to tell you today that for the very very first time my son-in-law Joshua Spurlock is going to lead the portion discussion. Now leading the portion discussion is not a simple matter especially if some of you are being sticks in the mud. Yes I'm talking to you Scott so, <laughs> so it's really important that you participate and when he says something like so what did you see this year for the first time about Messiah Yeshua in the portion Behar on the mount you should immediately start clamoring to see if he can figure out the order of the people <laughs> that he should call on. Yeah. Joshua, God bless you. Take over, Bud. Yes,
2: you may make an announcement. By the way, this is our slide. <laughs> 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 uh, well, <laughs> we had a
3: really good report on Dale Sean Wall, For those of you
6: who are praying, my uncle. Yes. Hey. Um, Rick's brother-in-law, he has not had to have a transfusion for three weeks, what? All right. which is, is a, so b- a blessing, um, and his body is beginning to make its own platelets, mm. which is just a miracle, mm-hmm. so we're very, very happy, um, keep praying, he's eating wheatgrass, which they hope is what's helping, they don't know he's taking all kinds of stuff doing all kinds of things which is growing it
4: would be like it'd stop but
6: anyways this is the first time his body seems to be making its own platelets
3: so cool. Cool. well if you're if you're praying to the siddur in the mornings then you have an opportunity every single morning to lift up someone in prayer for healing um, so that's a good place to insert Dale I used to just say son of Mrs. Schoenwald because I don't know his mom's name but that's okay um, anyway so good thing Yes, Parashat Bahar. Uh, it's really hard to see yeah, that. Tell me out about here. it. Yeah, I'm going to on the yeah. pointing, you know. Um, you need one of those cool, like, rotational yeah. seats. Oh, maybe Susan. Someone yeah, would that would be that weird. Was, <laughs> I'd sit in the middle of the table and That's just kind of rotate. Good, yeah. What would the lay there? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're, we're hoping to have the,
0: t- the floor move for everyone else, in new stage station. That would be better. Oh, like a Disney one, Yes, yeah. That would be great. That would be great.
3: That would be very cool. Still
8: and we all move so that whoever you're talking to is right in front of you. Yeah.
1: Something like that. But only if
3: there's like a small small children singing in the background. That's
1: yeah. a <laughs> oh, no, renovations. Cancel
3: the, uh, that whole deal. So. so this week we're on Parashat Bihar, which is, as my father-in-law already pointed out, is on the mountain. Um, which means we've got something really cool. If you like context, that means that we actually know exactly where we are. So... Um, now, what mountain are we talking about here? Sinai. 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 Uh, which means that, guess what? As we're approaching Shavuot, which is in
9: 25 days. 25,
3: actually, we're
7: halfway.
3: Halfway. Halfway. halfway um, that means that we are, if, you, if you've been reading the whole portion, we started at Mount Sinai, Exodus 19? It's yeah. so a long time ago. We're still there. Haven't left. Haven't moved at all. Um, which I think is really kind of cool. And one of the things that really gives me a lot of encouragement on is, I don't know if if you've been following along with some of the Zadi classes' discussions on the Shabbat Melachot, the the rules of Shabbat. Sometimes it feels like, man, I am still a noob. I've been doing this for, I don't know how many years and I still have no idea how to do all the stuff the way you're supposed to do it, or even really even know sometimes what it is I'm supposed to do. Or um, not to. to. Um, And uh, it's really kind of encouraging, I think, to see that here we are, we're only in Leviticus 25, and we're still at Sinai. Like, that means that, like, if you you follow numbers, uh, we end up staying at Sinai for roughly a year, give or take. Um, Which is really kind of cool, because that means that God takes pretty much an entire year to go through the book of Leviticus. Um, And we, of course, will get through it a lot faster than that. And I think that teaches a lot about God's patience and about, like, his willingness to... um, Encourage us as we go, you know, kind of teach us small pieces to get us excited. Um, so, as we come back around to Bihar, for some of you, like the ninth or tenth or twelfth time, um, what's new? I, I've given you the intro, so I mean, it's up to somebody else now. They're still newlyweds. They're still newlyweds? Hmm.
4: Israel and Hashem are still newlyweds.
3: This mm-hmm. is very true. It's definitely the honeymoon period. Um, got off to a bit rockier start with the, with the golden calf. You know, Thankfully, most newlyweds don't usually do that. That
4: happens actually fairly often. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry I don't speak if you're from experience. Just, I'm sorry if you're not yet have experienced this, but it is fairly common. It's okay.
3: Well, sometimes it's a bit of an adjustment period. I know that one of the things that's really funny, Julianne and I got married a year and a half ago now and um, it was really funny like the first week um, she got really relaxed and all of a sudden I, I figured out um, about four days into our marriage that sarcasm is a normal thing for her and up to that point I was like man what? what is like what, what, I mean, I'm relatively fine why, why is she so like uptight about stuff and then like on literally like the fourth day of our marriage I'm like you're being sarcastic aren't you? She's like yeah. <laughs> oh okay. So yeah. Sometimes sometimes there's an adjustment, period. <laughs> in, the, in the newly married stage. So we're definitely we're still newlyweds, but we're still learning, right? I mean that's what this passage is about. It's totally new commandments. Yeah. Well
0: Joshua, this uh, this year I saw it for the very first time. And I don't know how I missed it. Um, That when the when the Yovel year comes, we're actually going to blow those shofars.
2: Mm.
0: But we blow them. I would have thought, you know, we blow them on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, right—the day of blowing. Um, But we're actually going to blow them on Yom Kippur. Right. And last year at Yom Kippur or Yom Hakippurim, you were here along with most of the men from the community Mm -hmm. praying, and. It was a long day, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was a solemn time, and there wasn't a whole lot going on. And then it started the night before with the Colney Dre service, mm-hmm. and a lot of the guys that have, uh, that white deal, the kettle, yeah, thank you,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, this old gray hair. Everybody you know the guys who had those showed up in those, but it was a quiet deal and, and the only time of the year when we're done with the service and we don't start talking and mingling and singing and, and right. dancing around and stuff. And uh, and I, I guess it would be at that point around the Colney dre type time frame that you'd be blowing the shofar and declaring everyone's freedom. And as as a believer in Messiah Yeshua yeah. and recognizing that I was in bondage to sin and now I'm free in Messiah Yeshua. This has like a double triple cool meaning sure. for me. And Absolutely. I would I would really <coughs> like to experience that. Now the Shemitah year is coming up at this yeah. Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. Um, but it's my understanding that, that the the Jewish people are unclear and not in agreement on when the jubilee year is the Yovel right. is is unknown and they're waiting for Messiah to tell them. Yeah, convenient, so huh? Yeah. yeah, it's pretty convenient. <laughs> so that's the, I saw that for the very first time
3: and we were shocked. That's, that's really cool.
0: cool. Wait, I'm just curious, would the Yovel
10: legally start on Rosh Hashanah but the blasting would be on I guess, yeah. Which is kind of a cool picture of, of the the proclamation is basically a um, retrospectively. Delayed. Right. So, yeah. so by the time you're, pro- you're proclaimed to be free, you've already been set for years waiting for that proclamation. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. I think about it,
3: we, um, we've got another last shofar blast, right? We, we've already gone through a whole bunch of them on and then we got the last one. The last <laughs> Which also has to do with freedom. 1 Corinthians 1950, And we got that this week in the Haftarah as well, because the whole point with the Yovel and the, and the Shemitah and all that, um, well, the Yovel, is that God is using that um, redemption concept to say the exile is over. That's exactly what he does um, with the last shofar, because Yeshua makes a very strong point that he's going to be gathering in the exiles from all over the world. You know, we, as Christians background, um, tend to focus on like, this is when all of us are going to go meet the Lord in the air, we're going to go, you know, flying through space or something cool like that. And that's really not the focus of Yeshua's teaching at all. Like, his whole thing is gathering in the exiles of Israel, uh, which is a totally different perspective. Maybe. So the dead ones, anyway. They're going to roll their way. Something like that. So we've got to the Shemitah. Now this is, by the way, if you, if you haven't gotten a chance to go through a, a lengthy year, an extra month year, this is going to be like one of the shortest portions of the whole year, so that means we get to like dig in really deeply, so that should be really cool. So,
7: uh, the Shemitah year, how is that counted? I, I read somewhere that the Sanhedrin is responsible for counting the Jubilee year, but who counts the Shemitah here. is it basically from
3: then onward? Like, No. It, they, if you read this passage, one of the things that makes it makes very clear is that it's from when I bring you into the land. So the way that they've got it now, I think there's a little bit of debate on exactly when to start counting, but generally speaking, Israel today starts counting, I think, from the first Jewish settlement outside Jerusalem in like the 1800s. And they just do seven years, seven, 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 all the way through. So the last one we had was 2007, yeah. So 2007 slash 2008. Right, 57, 68. We're kind of And that 57, in, yeah. seven, 75 uh, yeah. is the next is in, in
0: September
7: you know, with Rosh Hashanah.
3: Which is kind of cool.
7: So let's say I move to Israel tomorrow. Bravo! You're taking it with you, right? Mm-hmm. Of course. Thank you let's you do have a guest room, I trust. <laughs> and, and let's also assume that Nine. next, next yeah, year. The, let's also assume that next year is the Shemitah year. Do I? This is my first year in Israel, but do I observe the Shemitah year as well? Yes.
3: Well, it depends. Do you have a garden? Let's say yeah. I have a garden. Okay. Actually, actually,
4: even if he doesn't have a garden, he still observes it. Yes. Right. Oh, true. Because whether you are a farmer or not, you're not going to eat a produce from the land. Okay.
3: And there is some. A you lot of discussions on that point. I actually lived through the last one, which I don't know how it really affected me because I didn't know enough about like how they handle things. I kept trying to find like the kosher produce stands, you know. <laughs>
0: but the um, during Pesach, during the, the week of matzot, uh, unleavened bread, it's a mitzvah to eat unleavened bread, and the the produce from that that year is sanctified, it's set apart because you didn't grow it God caused it to grow and it's to feed the widows and the orphans, the poor and so forth and um, and there, I mean, that's what that book I was talking about this morning uh, over on the table is all about, the halakhic stuff about sanctifying the Shemitah year fruit and vegetables and when you have a meal with fruit and vegetables from the seventh year, it's not that you can't eat it, it's that when you do eat it that you set it apart. So when you're clearing the table and cleaning up the kitchen, that doesn't just get dumped in the trash, you put it in a separate bag, Mm. right? And stuff like that. So um, we could talk for three hours. I mean, one of the physically heaviest books I've ever purchased, ever, is that Shemitah book. I mean, I challenge you to go pick it up after this discussion, and you're going to go, whoa! You know why? It's not because of the paper. It's because theologically it's very heavy.
4: Okay. <laughs> you can feel it oh, that's right. It that's is. right. But the modern state that of Israel generally
3: keeps the Shemitah. Right. Okay. Yeah. The uh, there are some like halakhic discussions as to whether or not if it's in the dirt or if it's like a raised bed does that really right. count? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 if it's if it's owned by Gentiles but it's in the land of Israel does that really count? Well, they they will sell
0: the agricultural land of Israel will be sold to Gentiles mm-hmm. for two years
3: on a contract allowing them to buy it back. Kind of the, the, pa- the uh, Pesach matzah, right. uh, the exactly. 11, yes, eleven.
4: Generally, generally, this is a good time to import
3: into the land of Israel because mm-hmm. you can make money that way. Yep. In so fact, I think I recently want to buy produce from the land. Right. Recently, so, I heard about um, somebody that was in trying to import stuff from the U.S. to Israel during this week or year. It's like an opportunity to, like...
4: Shmita is
3: not to be practiced outside the land. Right.
4: Is that, was that your question?
7: No, but I, I like that. This portion
4: begins with the explicit command, when I bring you into the land.
7: Well, and, and something kind of similar to that, which it, I was, when I was reading the Torah portion, I, read, I think it was Rashi or, or Ron Bon who said this, which was... Uh, Other lands, if if you don't either if you are in land and you don't observe the shemitah year, or if you're outside land and therefore don't have to observe the shemitah year, you have to let the land lie fallow every two years or every Mm -hmm. three years, just because you have to let the land refresh. Whereas if you observe the shemitah year, you can harvest it for six full years, and then
3: only let it rest the seventh, and God will bless that. Right. But at the same time, it's also like normally, what I think, what I understand of other farming setups, they rotate. So, like, on like a second year when you're letting that property like fallow, you're planting Another. somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But in this case, you can only use, I mean, it's the whole land. is holy. So you can't plant anywhere in the land of Israel. So the, the sages use this commentary, this particular portion. They compare it to Shabbat because they say that this is demonstrating of God's sovereignty over the universe. Because in this particular portion, it's like, in fact, they comment, if you read your commentary in your Hamash that, like, basically, this is proof that this is a commandment of God. Because no human being in their right mind would say, oh, by the way, you guys are not going to plant anything for the year seven, but year six is going to give you enough food. And we're talking produce here. I mean, this isn't like going, you know, frozen foods in your... We're talking like basically vegetables that are going to last you for three years.
7: It's it's until the the, the next year when the the winter harvest is done. Well,
0: I mean, mean, you can look out here. The stuff that we've planted can't be eaten yet because it hasn't come up yet. Right. And that's the whole idea. So you're eating the sixth year, you skip the seventh year, you plant in the eighth year, but you won't be able to eat that till the end of the eighth and beginning of the ninth year. So what he
3: gives you in the sixth year,
0: better get some big buckets because it's going to last for three years.
3: And according to tradition, the sixth year is actually normally, normally supposed to be like a low year. So God like supernaturally allows the sixth year to be not only... Average, but above average, three times average Scary. to last over, which is cool because it parallels. So I Shabbat. It parallels what God does in the sixth day with the manna, right? Because on the sixth day He gives double to cast over for the right. seventh day, so which is very neat. Yes, Lord.
11: Um, so as a farmer, um, things volunteer. Okay, like something you planted last year, the seed pod falls to the ground. Sure. God covers it with the leaves or whatever, and then you get more plants. Are you able to harvest from that? You can't harvest, not but you can't you harvest harvesting. You're not sowing and you're not tealing. But, but, the, right, but the poor naturally. that, but that falls,
0: will that will pay that will feed the poor. It's specifically for the poor. You can't
3: harvest your own stuff, but they can come and take it. And actually, if you look in, I think it's Deuteronomy. Um, there's a portion there that talks about if you go through like your, your neighbor's garden or your neighbor's orchard yes. or whatever else, you can eat as you go, but you can't harvest. You can't bring a basket and just drop his apples <laughs> in it as you go. So the same concept, from what I understand, applies here. Yeah. Even if it's your land, and, and then, if, if it just grows up naturally, you can pluck off a cucumber and like, nibble on it.
0: And you see that you see this with like. uh, not as Ruth, yeah. right? So Ruth is poor, and she is gleaning the edges of the field that have deliberately been left for the poor. In the seventh year, the whole orchard, the whole place is for the poor. (laughs) You can't
3: can't go pick it yourself. And interestingly enough, this raises some intriguing uh, further halachic questions because if you read, is it Matthew 11, 12? The um, the disciples are going through and they're plucking heads of grain. Now, we've just been learning in the Malachot that you are not allowed to reap stuff on Shabbat because that's work. In fact, ironically enough, that's one of the few commandments that's relatively explicit in the Torah. You're not supposed to be reaping or, or sowing on Shabbat. So um, when Yeshua's argument uh, as to defending his disciples, he takes a very interesting take because he doesn't actually say that reaping is okay. Rather, he seems to justify what they're doing based on their need and the way that they're doing it. So if they'd gone through and they were taking a scythe and they're you know, piling up their stuff for the rest of the week, that was not okay. But if you look at the... He, uh, he compares it to David and his men eating the, the bread sugar, in the temple, which bread. you can't do, but in that particular case was okay. And the argument, from what I can tell, is that it was a need life. that had... Well, not just life. Not, I don't think they're going to die. No, per se. But, but there's a need for life. There's a need to... They were hungry. They had a need that could not be met any other way. Right. And it was permissible to meet that need only. So the disciples are going through, and they're you know nibbling on grain. It was only okay because it was that short-term, immediate need that was being satisfied. Not that it would have
9: been okay if they weren't hungry.
3: Right. Yeah, they couldn't exactly. go through and be that's like, awesome. you know, I, I could have prepared yesterday, but I just didn't feel like it, so I'm going to do that tomorrow. Um, that's, not, that's not what he's talking about. It's much more like, I mean, if you think about it, Yeshua says, I don't you know, the foxes have poles, but the master Son of no Man is, is nowhere. So then it's like, in that scenario, I'm imagining the disciples probably had nothing t- to take with them on Friday. They, maybe they were expecting one egg at synagogue, and they didn't have enough. I don't know. So, like, they're just, they're hungry. So they're eating as they go, and Yeshua defends them on that basis. So it's the same thing here. The, the, the Shemitah year grows up. You cannot harvest your food. But if you have, you can go out in your garden and pluck something that's already grown by itself to eat immediately.
11: Or to eat every well, the meal. Home either, which oh, would be true. different. You know, if we're home, we shouldn't be harvesting from our own fields. You know, but they were in roots somewhere. They weren't playing. Well
3: from what I understand based on the commentary and things, um, you're allowed to I got you just a second Joshua. Um I, I I think you're allowed to eat from your own stuff as long as it was growing naturally. Okay. Like you can't go out and plant it. And I think even technically they I think are not even really supposed to eat what you planted in the sixth year. It's like you plant you let it grow naturally, seed falls, things happen, things grow on their own. I mean, you know, you guys Kind of know that some stuff's going to grow by itself. Volunteer. That's um, what you're talking about. And then so you can eat from your own field on that basis. But again, you can immediately—it's like for that meal, you're not going out there with a basket to go collect all the tomatoes Obviously. in your garden. Yeah. So yes, Josh. No. I
11: subscribed. Oh,
2: okay.
1: Good question. So everybody is supposed to be returned to their <coughs> land. Slaves are supposed to be set free, etc. Um, this may have been talked about in some of the commentaries. I didn't have the opportunity to find it, though. What about the person who has put the all through the ear and said, "I will not go free"? They don't, as far as I know. I don't know the commentary, no. but I mean that was so the that reference. That's the whole idea. Yeah, yeah they, one they're one the choosing
3: actual. to remain in their master's household for Very the rest of their life. And it's interesting because, um, as as believers in Yeshua, playing off of Paul's references to the um, bond Sermon. We see that as a very good thing, but traditional rabbinic Judaism sees it as a very bad thing. They look at that and they go, what guy wants to be a slave his whole life? Like, that's not, that's not appropriate. They feel like that's like a diminishing of the person. Now, obviously, we, we recognize there are some masters that are really worth doing that for, but the point wife, that... We're keeping. So, yeah. The only way you
6: can keep your wife Oh, also true. That's right. I love,
3: as I said, I love my master. I love my wife. Let's see. I don't love my master, but I love my wife. <laughs> but, um, but, in the case of like the uh, in the case of normal Judaism, they would discourage that. In the same way, here they're saying, if you've got the right of redemption, you need to pay it, and if somebody else can pay it for you, they should too. Which is in interesting perspective. Um,
8: I, I get that from Jewish Go ahead. It's, I, I get that from Judaism because, like, the Torah seems to indicate that, especially with other fellow Jews, like that is not—you're not even allowed to take them in as slaves, really. So it's like it's clearly from the Torah's perspective and God's perspective, this isn't a good thing. You're not even supposed to do this to each other. So it, yeah, I can I can see where they're getting that.
3: Right. Absolutely. Yes, sir.
8: I know there's, there's a story about like a rabbi dis like
10: um, making this rule irrelevant because people were taking advantage of it at one point in time. So I'm asking, like, what's the practical sense of, like, do you take out, like, a 30-year mortgage on,
0: like, the year before and then just get a free house? Like, Mm-mm. people always thought of that. No, do no, It's You lose the house. It's prorated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That it's the it's right city. Right.
4: explicitly. I mean, the Torah doesn't oftentimes tell us exactly how to do something. We have explicit instruction produce. on proration here.
8: Yeah, like the exact calculation to do yeah. Exactly.
4: everything's prorated
0: based on that jubilee year so if you're going to buy in the land in the territory that is not where you are from, from the tribe from which you, you come then you're only going to be able to buy it until the jubilee year so the cost of the land which no doubt would be agricultural would be based on how many crops you're going to get because come the 50th year, it's not your place anymore. You're not
4: really buying the land, you're buying the harvest. Right. It's, that's right. that's so actually that's the best that. way of looking at it. You're not buying the land, you're buying the whole harvest. Because you can't buy the, the, land land no, the, the, the land. The like, land is not yours to Because God owns the land in
8: the city, that doesn't even apply. Right.
0: right.
9: Because there's no, it, there's no crops. There's no crops. Right. Unless you're dealing with the
0: Levite thing, in which
9: case
2: you're messing with him.
6: Not a wall. Today... <laughs> The islands of Hawaii, I think something similar. you do a fee simple purchase, you don't actually buy the land. Mm. At least you, for 99 years. You have, yeah. When you build a house and buy property in Hawaii, you only buy it for a set amount of time. So it's a similar idea they're still practicing today, although it's not because
4: of this. But.
3: Hawaii is not Israel. In fact, actually, <laughs> well, the funny thing is in Israel today, um, not all, but a large portion of the land is actually owned by the government legally. Um, after they took over in 1948, the government ended up uh, you know, accumulating large portions of territory. It's like America. Um, and well, but, but in this case, they actually <laughs> lease it out on a 99-year yeah. lease. So when you buy property in Israel, um, you don't actually own the dirt that your house is on. You have it on like, an extremely long lease. Um, I'm thinking about the work that Mr. Martin and I do um, at Wells Fargo, and we deal a lot with municipal bonds. You know, bonds from cities and whatnot. Similar concept here. You've got like a 30-year bond, almost like a mortgage that you're the beneficiary of. Um, you're going to buy that. You're going to get re- interest off of that, or whatever else. But you don't own that part of the power plant. You simply own this this, a this share. R- a share. But it only goes 30 years. At the end of 30 years, they pay you back, and it's over. And the same system's working here with the Shemitah year. You've got are um, the are the Yovel, rather, excuse me. Um, you've got this property, so if you're on like year 48, I can guarantee you most people, when they're negotiating how they're going to do in year, you know, the last two years, they're not going, oh yeah, I think, well, we got to give you like 50 years worth of stuff here. It's going to be more like, well, we got two years, so that's worth this much to me. Here's what I'll give you for those two years, because at the end of two years, it's over. So that's like it's a negotiating
9: step.
4: Well, just like, just like Bitcoin's illustrates, that people will find a way to essentially get something that they don't deserve and, and in fact go to extreme measures and work in order to do it and that's why God's instructions here begin with do not default or do not treat your brother poorly and then it gives the instruction on how to pro so I mean we're always going to find a way you know there's got to be an angle here that I can somehow get around And God gives us instructions ahead of time the overriding concept is look don't try and don't try and weasel out of this somehow and try and get something that you don't deserve.
3: Absolutely. Yes, Gregory.
4: And I was just just trying to remember the fact that, to be clear, if somebody
8: was about to purchase something, let's say it was like the 47th year, like it wouldn't necessarily be two full years or three full years until the fifty because the 49th year would also be a Shemitah year. So mm-hmm. there would be like two, right? Mm-hmm. Because Shemitah and then the Yobel. So you would have like... True. Okay. So if you think about... It
0: how God, according to what Josh was saying earlier, is going to bless his people. In that 48th year. year, That's he worth he yeah, provide four, four years,
2: years. Yeah. of, of supplies
0: through that one. I was astonished, yeah. you know? I mean, we we actually were running out of baskets to grab the sweet potatoes out of the <laughs> ground. And we're noobs. We don't know what we're doing. We're from the city. You know? So to 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 have a whole farm that would you'd be able to sell produce from or vegetables from for the year and have it last for four years is like getting a paycheck every ye- every week from your job during one year that's four times bigger than <laughs> it's supposed to be every Saturday. That's, Saturday. that's astonishing. Yes, sir.
10: How do you just help Uncle Moishi with the export company that he has in? <laughs> uh, so, can you give us the history of the the controversial um, legal change? I think it was Louis well, the Second who said that the Yovel is no longer applicable because it was being used.
3: Uh, hmm, that's uh, actually new to me. I, I didn't realize that. I thought it was more due with the fact that there was a lot of debate and discussion as to where to put it.
10: No, it was it was well, that were part people of the advantage of the fact that debts would be forgiven, part and of the property would be returned, and 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 people were were I guess. Being stingy in that they would purposefully not loan, not not uh, uh, give give resources because they knew it, it, it would either, it, it was, was going to flip back or it, it would default or whatever. So so there was actually basically capital and and, and whatnot was was not flowing properly. Yeah. And people consequently the people that were honest were w- didn't have um, the access to capital they needed. I think it was Hella the second. I can't remember who that was. I think you're right. And I and I don't know when that would be on the calendar. Third century, right okay. there. Third, third century.
3: Left edge of the uh, painting. All right. Okay. we've got um, you're in that corner, and we go back, we got Rashi over here. here she was here 1,700 eight, years
4: ago. Right there.
10: 1,800 years ago. So and, the, and so, so he made an, a decree, being head of the Sanhedrin, that the Yo'bel rules were uh, announced to Nolan void because people were taking advantage of them and thus negating the whole, point. the whole point. And so his point, the, the, basically what he did is he, um, and, and, it, and why it's controversial is because he overstepped or would, uh, overruled a, a Torah commandment right. in order to get the same result that that commandment was trying to produce anyways. Mm. But
3: well, it's interesting because... Um, forgive me if you're really horribly bored by bank business, but it comes to mind from time to time because I deal with it every day. Um, it's interesting because one of the things we've been dealing with, the government comes up with new rules from time to time because they keep finding that people want to come with loopholes. They, they try to you know abuse the system to get it to work for them. And it's so cool because one of the things that they've been coming up recently is like fair pricing rules. It's like, because they know that, I mean, you don't know the interest rates and all the different ups and downs. And if I trade this and I buy that and it's this one, and. I don't know what's a fair price. That sounds good to me. Sure. So they, actually the government's coming up with rules saying you're supposed to give a fair price, which to me seems kind of interesting. I'm like, I can't imagine I wish they did that with cars. That'd be fantastic. Like, okay, you've got to give this guy a fair price. It's like, wow, that would be great. But um but with the uh Maybe I don't wish to do that with cars. Now that I think about it, we don't want we don't want that much government control. Less but government. but God actually is already doing that here. He's got a rule in place that right before he gets into the yovel, he says, "Do not defraud one another." And actually, the, the sages say that's a very general rule. It's not just in the case of the yovel. It's a general commandment that you can't defraud um, another Israelite uh, in business, which is which is a pretty significant deal. So we're playing off of that, and he's so he, and so going back to your point, the goal is, I think, is that if we were keeping the canvas correctly, then we wouldn't have that problem in the first place exactly. So Hillel's
4: Hillel II's problem was uh, that he tried to fix what was what was broken by not fixing it the way that God prescribed. Mm-hmm.
0: Joshua. Um, chapter twenty-five and verse eighteen. Uh, the second thing that I saw this year for the very first time, uh, harking back to uh, to Rick's uh, class on or study on, it's not what you, what you think you get. It's not what you think it's what you do, okay. and uh, <laughs> or something like that. Is it something like that?
3: I can't remember.
0: Either way, it's a do thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I saw here some uh, some verbs. Therefore, you shall. I, I don't know what your version has, but mine has. Therefore, you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them. And there's a promise that goes with it, but clearly uh, the do asah perform also same word asah and uh, keep shamar. This is this is action. Mm-hmm. it's not just talking about it and, and feeling good about the fact that I've got a place in the world to come, I've got the fire insurance and now I can live like hell but rather there's an expectation that because I have this relationship, therefore sure. Sure, I shall do, keep and perform
3: his commandment statutes and so, forth. so. And it's really interesting you mention this one because he says at the end of that you he should also securely in the land right. and um, the sage has comment that like basically it's just Israel does not keep the shmita year, does not follow these commandments, then they will not get the blessings. In fact, this whole pa- um, there's one commentary. Um, there's one commentary that said that links this entire portion together, saying if you start off and you don't keep Shemitah and you try to sell stuff in the seventh year, then you're going to end up having to get poor and need a loan, and then you're going to end up needing to sell your house. And then finally you're going to go into slavery because basically... And then finally you're going to sell yourself to a Gentile because you, you screwed up here that God's <laughs> not going to bless the rest of what you're doing. Exactly. Um, which is so cool because I really feel like that's... Um, I, I, even with us in this country, we're not going to we do that with Shabbat. Um, I mean, you guys, especially in your business, you know, you, it's so easy to say, oh, I can work on Shabbat. But, um, but that's such like a... Uh, so to say, I can't, I won't, when you're forfeiting all of the income that comes from that, that's pretty scary. Um, and in fact, I know there are people um, that, I've, that I've gotten to know and um, I you know, even had to do it myself, turn down jobs because it requires you to work on a Saturday. And it's so cool to see how God blesses. Um, one of the guys in our community, Gideon, he was working in a job and it was great for a long time. And then he, um, his company started saying, you know what, this whole, like, you work Sundays, other people do Saturdays, it's not really working for us. We want you to do the whole weekend. And and so he said, I, I can't. And they're like, well, you have to. So he immediately started looking for a new job. And God not only gave him a new job, but it was like the same company he worked for in Curacao. They opened a branch in Charlotte, which is really odd to me. Um, and so he ended up with like a better opportunity simply because he stuck to Shabbat. And I think that's so cool. Um, and I really believe that that is the way that this is trying to teach us. Yes, sir.
1: Some of the sages... Uh, going back to the the sixth year, going into the seventh year, the text says, uh, and do not say to yourself, what will we eat in the seventh year? And some of the sages look at that and they say, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense to ask that question because you still have the sixth year's produce, however much is from that. Mm. Uh, to live on. Really, the question should be, what are we going to eat in the eighth year? (laughs) (laughs) and the ninth year. So they say, well, why why is it phrased in such a way? And they look at somewhat of a deeper meaning to that. They give a a pragmatic explanation to that, but they also say, well, there's obviously something deeper going on here. And so they take each year corresponding to a uh, period of time or millennium, leading up to the redemption. And so the year where we are now is 5774, which would be the sixth year. Millennium. So essentially the question of, well, what are we going to eat in the seventh year? They rephrase and say, okay, if the patriarchs and the matriarchs were unable to bring about the messianic redemption period of time, then what hope do we have to bring about that, being in the sixth year, which is usually the weakest year, prior to the Shemitah. So they say, well, that's when God pours out his blessing, right. is on the sixth year. Right. And so the sages say, and then, so there's an abundance of blessing coming, leading up to the seventh year of redemption. And then they go further than that, and they say there's actually three types of redemption within that redemption. There's the proceeding to the Messianic Age, which is, the hopeful time and then there's when the Messiah comes and you would think all right when the Messiah comes everything's going to be better well according to one interpretation everything seems to go on as it's always been going mm. which is very interesting because I think of Second Peter who says that there will be mockers to come in the last days saying well where's the appearance of his coming ever since the fathers fell asleep everything has been going on as it has since the days of old mm. so according to the sages, in this view When the Messiah comes, it will appear as though nothing has changed. Everything will go on exactly as it's been going. And then we have the final stage of redemption. Uh, Oh, excuse me. And another aspect of that time when you know the Messiah has come is that Israel will be subjected to the government of all the nations. Which, if you think about when Yeshua came, it was the biggest exile that's ever happened after he came. Where Israel was then scattered and subjected to the nations. And then the final aspect of redemption, which is when we'll get to the seventh year, is when finally the Messiah comes, destroys the government from upon Israel, and regathers them to the land. And I thought, I couldn't have said it any better myself had I been quoting the New Testament. So this is really amazing. So I thought that was pretty phenomenal to read from the sages. Yeah,
3: I thought that was really cool um, to think about like the sixth year. and Because like, hey, you know that the Lord... Is day is a thousand years so Judaism takes if we have seven days in a week then they interpret that as saying we have 7,000 years of in, in the time period of, of humanity so each day is a thousand years so each block of time is a thousand years so we're in the sixth day of the t- overall time frame of humanity um, and so we're getting towards the end and the seventh day the Shabbat if you will is the, is the reign of Messiah, which I think is really amazing. It's like, I, I don't think that they read the book of Revelation, but they seem to know that the seventh day is a thousand years, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Have this next question. Yes, sir.
4: Uh, actually, that, that was very good. It was actually a, probably a better paraphrase from, from, from the Talmud, on a The Talmud compares six agricultural years to the sixth millennium of the world, the sabbat- sabbatical year to the seventh millennium, when the redemption will have arrived. Since the Jewish people suffer from a gradual regression in spiritual stature as generations pass, a person might ask, how could the efforts of the spiritually weak and the infertile 6th millennium bring the true and complete redemption? The Torah answers, it is a super-rational self-sacrifice and commitment to Judaism of the final generation of the exile that will bring the blessings of the redemption.
3: And uh, Rabbi Gippel, in his commentary on the book of Joshua, plays off of that as well because he says that um, we get to the we, wait to, we to get to Joshua and it says that Moses. The, the commentary is that Moses is in the sun Joshua is like the moon um, and the irony is that Joshua's the one who brings him into the land and it's like well that doesn't make any sense like if you really think about it like the logical like human way of doing it is we're going to have like the superhero guy is going to take them into the land like that's going to be like the best ever but that's not what God does, does at all in fact he takes like the Kind of like Joshua is like the whole way through the beginning of the book of Joshua. He has to tell him, you know, be strong and courageous, like over and over and over again. Like Joshua's a good leader, but he's not Moses. And, um, and the point is that, uh, according to like Rabbi Kempel's pulling off the sages in, in commentary, is that the, uh, the, the era of redemption, the era of Mashiach, the Messiah, is actually like a weaker leadership era. It's like the, the leaders actually are, are not as good. And he says that's true with Judaism today. Like, if you go back in time, like, okay, if we're in the corner here, that's year 2014, and we're going backwards, you, you got to go, like, halfway across the wall, like, 500 years before you start bringing up names of people who are, like, superheroes, except for there's a couple here and there. But, like, whoa, as we go back further and further and further, it's like, man, there's just the, these, 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 you know, hugely Fox. important, incredible sages throughout time, and then for the last 500 years, you've got, like, three, four, like, what happened? And that the point is saying that, like, like playing off of this commentary, that that the end is going to actually be like weaker, that the that the, that the the godliness factor is going to be less impressive, mm. but that is going to be building into the return of Messiah. He's going to step in when things don't seem as heightened. Yes, sir. You
0: know, back to Taylor's comment there about you know when Messiah is reigning, you know things will be pretty much the way they are right now. So there won't be this dramatic change that explains the prophets I mean you read uh, Zechariah you know, he, he makes it clear if, if this country especially Egypt doesn't go up during Sukkot they get no rain Well, wait a second the Messiah of the world the creator of the universe is sitting on the throne why wouldn't you go up? but if things are pretty much the way they are there's not a lot of change maybe the leadership seems weaker it sort of plays into that but now you understand well that guy I don't even like that guy I don't think I like Jewish people come on we're not going to go and they don't even send a delegation up and then all of a sudden famine no, no rain it, it makes sense it fits with, with what, the, what the prophets have said
8: I in, I, and that reminded me of First Peter 2 where right after he talks about like being subject to the governments of the nations and everything, that's when he gets into the whole thing about like as free, like you are free men now, which is, of course is associated with like Yeshua returning, and uh, and then it it goes into this whole thing about like fearing God as like bond servants, um, which is which is interesting because he does reference. It seems like he's talking about a time when Yeshua does return and frees us, but then at the same time, it just got done saying you need to remain subject to
4: the emperors and the, the government. So that kind of makes sense as well. Yes. I think the, uh, the importance of the Shemitah and the yovel are seen actually in, in, in a historical sense. Maybe more than even in, in the commandments given here, even though he's it seems pretty severe here but we see, you know, when we look at the fact that Israel was taken into exile for 70 years because of not keeping the Shemitah they were never taken out of Israel for idolatry mm-hmm. even though he said, he warned them if, if, you, if, you, you, know, if you bow to these idols, you know, the land will spit you out but we don't see them leaving because of idolatry we see sure. them leaving because of the Shittah sure. yeah. so it makes, it makes the importance and it makes community all that more important as well because individuals can sin, individuals, individuals do sin but it's the community that did not keep Shemitah. Mm-hmm. whereas there were individuals that were doing that were breaking it all along. That's not that issue. It's the community that stopped keeping mm-hmm. Shemitah.
3: Yeah, and I think that if you look at this um, passage talking about the, uh, the idolatry and, and not keeping Shemitah, um they go back and go back to shabbat again. They say that the Shemitah year is actually like one of the strongest statements you can make of God being God. So like, to not keep Shemitah, just like not keeping Shabbat, is a reinforcement, almost like a, a, a statement of your own, saying, God's not really God. I don't trust that he's in charge. And um, and that's what we do in the Kiddush. Every time we get to the Kiddush, we talk about it's a remembrance of the act of creation. Every time we do Shabbat, we remember that God made the universe and he keeps it working. Yes, sir? The sages also talk about
7: um, even when the entire community is keeping the Shemitah here, there's still going to be individuals who don't. That's right. And you... Even if you you're, you're if you are keeping year, if your neighbor isn't, and you know that, you may suffer because of it. Mm. Uh, so I guess it's, it just reinforces the idea of hey, when you're in community, you know it's every, It's not every man for himself. You know you have to you know look out for each other.
3: Well, I know that if I if I had a farm next to that man, um, and I went out you know with the basket during the spetaya year, I get yelled at a lot. So, and I appreciate that. Yes, sir, Taylor
1: continuing with the parallel of one day equals the thousand-year period um, I think I know this is the case with the Yobel year but I think it's the case where when the Shemitah you count from the sh- previous Shemitah year uh, in, in the valuation of things uh, I don't know if that's accurate uh, so for like for example with the Yovel the way that you value something is the amount of time that has passed since the prior Yobel you don't count looking forward uh, to the next one. And so it's an odd way of counting. And so one of the other comments the sages make is, well, if this corresponds to the entirety of time, then what was the first Shabbat that we count from?
2: Ah, right.
1: I would say, well, there has been an eternal Shabbat that has happened right. to which we will return in the future, which reminds me of Hebrews, which says that there is a Sabbath rest. Right. So it's the Sabbath yeah? book ends not only just your week, but your entire existential existence.
3: Right, and I, I, we must read the same commentaries, because one of the things that they say is the very beginning of this passage Shabbat says... Man, it's fantastic! highly recommend that one. If you read to the beginning of this passage, it says when you come in the land, you shall observe a Shemitah. And the sages go, wait a minute. When they came in the land, that was year one. That's not when you observe the Shemitah. Um, and they go, well, that's odd. Like, that's that doesn't make funny, any yeah. sense. And, and if you did. think...
4: Joshua 5, they didn't.
3: They ate, the they ate the land. We know from Joshua. They didn't, they didn't even observe Shemitah. So it's like, well, what is, that, what is it talking about then? And you're right, they play off of the creation stories the same way. Because just like every week, every, tomorrow is Sunday. But it comes after Shabbat. Now, even though that's day one, it's Sunday, it came after a Shabbat. So they say, well, like, where is the Shabbat? And they say, ultimately, it is, the Shabbat is sort of like in the mind of God. It is the vision, it is the focus of the week and the same thing applies here so like the Shemitah year the first Shemitah year is the preparation as it were like the mental acceptance of it heading into the seven years so you're not going to literally do it necessarily the first day but the goal is to get to that so it's like the, the week finds its point the week finds its purpose in Shabbat but Shabbat only exists because of the week and that's the thing that they say is that like the Shemitah year only exists because of the six years before that so you can't Um, You can't just say, oh, well, you know, I I don't have to work. I mean, this is fantastic. I'm going to just kind of cruise, and then I'm asked to stop. Instead, it's like it only makes sense to take a break if you've been working. So the sages use this again. One of the cool parts about this particular portion Mm -hmm. is there's a lot of principles involved. Mm -hmm. And one of the principles the sages get out of that is that you can't be only in the spiritual world. Mm -hmm. If you don't also work in a material world, if you don't endure... Uh, what it means to be part of the physical world and doing daily tasks and, and working, whether it's outside or in the office or whatever, mm-hmm. um, then, then, then the holiness, the spirituality, has no purpose. So, yes sir? Um, two things. First, to your comment, um,
0: we know they did eat from the land, but they did it the second day. Hmm. Because the first day they kept the Pesach. Okay. Right. The Shabbat.
2: Yeah. That's true.
0: The next day. They, That's uh, true. Thank As you, they wrote. They wrote. Um, I, I was going to change the subject uh, and give you my, the third thing I saw this year. Um, in, towards the end of the, the portion, Leviticus twenty five forty seven. 47. Um, if a stranger or sojourner, that would be me, a Gentile, with you becomes rich, we can only hope. <laughs> it, it, it could happen. It could happen and your brother beside him, now he's talking about a Jew Mm -hmm. becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner the Gentile, that would be me with you or to a member of the stranger's clan that would be like you then after he is sold he may be redeemed one of his brothers may redeem him and then he goes through a paragraph of stuff About how that redemption occurs. And it closes with this statement. In verse 53. He shall treat. He the Gentile. Shall treat him as a worker. Hired year by year. Mm -hmm. He shall not rule. Ruthlessly over him. In your sight.
2: Mm.
0: So. We are responsible. Not only for what we do. But also, for what we watch others do, including those outside the faith, necessarily, and how they treat those in the faith. And to me, watching over folks in the flock, in the community, is simple. Watching to see that someone in our faith is not being taken advantage of outside of our community is a little bit more. Yeah, but that, that responsibility
3: is there. And the Jews definitely get that. I mean, you that's why I think it's really cool yeah. is that Jewish people, I feel like there's a lot of defense, mm-hmm. <laughs> not only than Israel. It's really funny because if you move to Israel and spend any time, they realize that they have no sense of like manners like Americans do. I mean, like everyone gets in the bus at the same time. People, people will kind of crowd you out of the space because they want it, and you're moving, so they're going to take it. Um, You know, they're moving because they're pushing you. But still, nonetheless. Um, The point is that, like, the the system is very much like, if you want it, you take it. Except when someone's in trouble. Jonathan Pollard. (coughs) Yeah. Israeli spy, supposedly. He
0: has been in jail without trial in our own country for many, many, many years. North Carolina. Yeah. No trial. It's just like watching the opening of The Rock with Sean Connery. Mm. But anyway... <laughs> he's without trial. He's been he's been incarcerated in our own country without trial, and you think alone that never happens. This is the only movie. Jonathan Pollard. And there are Jews all over the planet, in Israel and out, in our country and out, that are constantly
3: banging on the door of our own government to say, Neil, let this guy go. In fact the Israeli government has been has reportedly been willing to actually release their own prisoners. That's right. And by the way, Jonathan Pollard's is not Israeli. He's no, American. He's American. Which is
9: very interesting. Yes, right. sir. All right. um, it was kind of harking back to what you guys were speaking about earlier, about uh, the kingdoms being a little bit weaker, the leadership being weaker at the return of the Messiah, and people also uh, still doing like their own thing. Um, it reminded me of the letter to Timothy, Second Timothy four, uh, where Paul says, "I solemnly charge you before God and Messiah Yeshua." who will judge the living and the dead when he appears and establishes his kingdom. Proclaim the word, be on hand with it whether the time seems right or not. Convict, censor, and exhort with unfailing patience and with teaching. For the time is coming when people will not have patience for sound teaching, but will cater to their passions and gather around themselves teachers who say whatever their ears itch to hear. Yes, they will stop listening to the truth and will turn aside to follow myths, but you, Remain steady in every situation, endure suffering, do the work that a proclaimer of the good news should, and do everything your service to Elohim requires. For as for me, I am already being poured out on the altar. Yes, the time for my departure has arrived. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. All that awaits me now is the crown of righteousness, which which the master, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for him to appear. So that kind of, you know, like, and it says right here, it says, do the service, right? Like how you were talking about earlier, where it's like an action thing, yeah. you know, and James speaks about it, you know, like, you know, he speaks about, you know, your faith, right? is seen through your works, like your mm-hmm. actions. That's sure. You know, Dad was talking about earlier regarding the, um, that sixth
3: generation. The reason why it merits Messiah is because like the leadership and the overall holiness of that era is not that great. But people keep the Torah anyway. And that's one of the points that Rabbi tells us about the era of Joshua. He says that um, Moses was necessary to get them out of Egypt. But Joshua is necessary to inspire the average person to keep the Torah. Because Joshua's not a special guy. He's just another one of them but it's like it's, so it, it, basically you needed the superheroes to kind of like get them out of bondage but to get the average person to follow God means you need an average person to lead them to show them that anybody can do it um, and so going back to like this this point it's like in the midst of that evil generation it's our responsibility to keep being obedient in spite of the fact we don't have you know those those incredibly impressive leaders that we can look to and go well i I mean, I feel so inspired from watching the guy on TV, and that really makes me want to keep Torah. It's like, well, you might not have that, but you, it's still up to you, and it's that, that personal godliness that ultimately is rewarded. Is
0: the, is the whole focus of the tzedek class? Um, it's, it's not filled with superstars. It's filled with regular guys.
3: Oh, well, my dad. Well, Howdy. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> and bring <three> up <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. I know. But the okay. idea yeah. Is not not filled
0: with super superstars. <laughs> a couple of them. The idea is, we're just regular guys walking about well, the toe, come walk with us. Let's do it together. Yeah. I'm just
3: a, yeah. On the same point, Lauren? Yes. I'm
11: going back to you saying Joshua was just an average guy. I didn't see him as being such an average guy when he was with the spies to go into True. his camp. He was a passionate guy, along True. with Caleb. And you know, I mean, they, they were... Warriors of sense, you know. Let's go on. We can we can take them or what? It take. To me, that he was a leader. To me, that's not an average guy. And, but but you, so,
0: you think he was a leader? Well, and well, he said and he, and, he, and, he, and he did some great things. Mm-hmm. But when he came back, even standing next to Caleb, he could not convince the
3: group.
11: Sure. To go
3: yeah. in. And the thing is, I
11: know, but he did stand. No question. Away from good the man. Other. And sure. I have to say the guys that go on Tuesday night, I mean you guys really are not average guys <laughs> you guys are being equipped to go out and, and really you know, proclaim what God has said and we should be obedient to what God well, has said.
3: And, and in the defense of Joshua and I think it's some level the men of the Zoddy class um, Rabbi can tell me he's calling Joshua an average guy, it's not trying to say that he's, he's weak or unimpressive, mm-hmm. he's simply saying he's normal like, if you, look at, if you look at Moses, Moses goes to 120, and he never, he doesn't miss a beat. He, he is 100%. A say what? And he climbs a mountain at
9: the end. I know. He is he's physically <laughs> oh, shocking. Oh he, is, he is a
3: spiritual giant. He speaks to God face to face. He is like a spiritual superhero in a lot of ways. And Caleb, you mentioned Caleb, Caleb is like that too. Because Caleb and Joshua are about the same age. And at the end of at the at, at the, end, the end of Joshua's life, it says God tells Joshua, "You're getting pretty old. Here are a couple of important things you take care of before you die." That same like context, Caleb's like, "So there's like these massive giants, and I want their land. So let me let me go take them on." He's like eighty years old, so like the point is saying is did get someone the, to help. Well, he did. His son-in-law. We um, had the news. the point is that uh, the point is though that like like Caleb and and Moses and a lot of those guys were um, were great great men almost naturally, whereas Joshua became a great man because he chose to be. It wasn't necessarily that it came normal to them. So um, and I think that's true of the Ip Tzadi class as well. You know, we have worked to get to this point, but it's not because we're just necessarily
9: luminaries. Barak had a point, and then I'm
4: going to get to. I defer. Let me give, let me give Brock as an example in my in, in, in what I say. You're right. The young men of the Tzadi class are not average. They're not. They are normal, and that's yes. what the irony. The irony is this is as it relates to the Shemitah. It's not enough for you know the it's not enough for just the Levites to keep the Shemitah. it's not enough, you know, here's here's the leaders of the congregation of Israel are the ones that are maybe leading Israel, but the people that keep the Shemitah are the average people, the farmers. Regular guys. They're the ones that are keeping the Shemitah. They're the ones that bring the incredible blessing that God's going to bring. And if they don't do it, all of Israel goes into exile. In the same way, there are righteous men in Israel communities around the world that preserve the entire world and, and So but they're not but they're not luminaries. They're not their names aren't gonna appear in any in any book of commentary necessarily But they are they are the ones that are actually Doing the work every single day and the young men of the study of the class are that example. They're they're not professional they're have not been; tra- they not professional in religion, they've not pro- been trained in religion except by their own dedication they're not preparing to make a living on it excuse me, uh, Taylor is not anymore, <laughs> but they're not preparing to make a living on their learning their learning is purely because they want to know what God says, that is different from Moses or others uh, you know, they, they kind of like God called him by a burning bush and he didn't have a choice. These young men have a choice and they're choosing to forego their own inclinations and rather spend time with each other and strengthening one another and it is, it is young men like that and old men like that around the world that preserve all of us until Messiah comes and redeems us. Absolutely. Well, wow.
11: <laughs> Is that anybody can do it? Anybody. Absolutely. It that's is right. It's a choice sure. yes. to be obedient. Yes. That's the and point. See, Not just anybody.
4: See? We all need to do it. Well,
11: what? that anybody could <laughs> right. if they chose to do it. Well, wasn't it a choice that Joshua and Caleb made? Yes. Sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right.
3: And, and that's the point, is that God takes those average people to use them as the, the inspiration for the rest of the average people, because there's no excuse then. You know, there, there are probably a whole bunch of people out there that can say, well, my face isn't a like Moses'. There's no way I can approach God like that. Re- regular Jews and Jews. But a regular Enjoy guy, it. yeah. Laura, you had a comment. Um, yes, too.
12: Enjoy One would be that, um, to that, the point that we just talked about recently, um, in the prayers, restore our judges of the earlier times Amen. and our counselors mm-hmm. at the first. I so think about that. And the only way that can work is if the whole community is keeping right. Torah, okay. because the judges, judges don't really. Yeah, and that's the point of the Book of Judges. Like it's a mess because no one is. Everyone's doing this right in their own eyes. So, mm-hmm. um, so that to the point of that is our goal to all be obedient, not just let the leaders do it or my dad or my brother or my husband. You know, it's right. we all have to be in that. And then my mm-hmm. second thing was unrelated, but um, related to the Joshua thing. I know this has probably been discussed, I just missed it. But um, the passing of the Omer, right? The time to the seventh to the day after the seventh Sabbath, Sabbath. Wouldn't that always be a Sunday? The day after the seventh Sabbath would not always be a Sunday?
3: Well, in this case, there's. Just Hebrew, no. Yeah, so seven, it, 7. Yeah, because technically, uh, it's not Shabbat. Not
12: is it's not 7. It's seven. See the week I don't read the whole
3: thing in Greek. So, so. is, is like, you gotta read it in
4: Greek actually to get the Hebrew.
3: Yeah, the the it they have the same root. Shabbat Shabbat. Yes. So um it is it is got a um there is like a I got a couple here. Um they there seems to be like a um, it's like a almost like a euphemism for seven in right. a sense. It's like how do you count sevens? You can also count them by Shabbats, but It's not necessarily that it's always going to be on a Sunday, Um, and the proof, I think, from that is actually in the book of Joshua, because in that one, it's like unless, I mean, unless if it was a Shabbat,
4: they would have told us it was a Shabbat, right?
3: And it it would have been it would have been overly complicated there. So, um, do you want to say something now, or are you done, Ryan?
0: I was just going to say, going back to the uh, Joshua thing about him being an average guy, you know, the same thing can be said for the master, too, and how he appears. Absolutely. To and we <laughs> saw that in the apostolic uh, readings today. When he went up and read the scroll of Isaiah and said that this has been fulfilled in your hearing, and everybody's looking at him like, isn't this the son of the carpenter? Yes. Yeah. Who is he to say that this is the fulfillment? Yeah. So. Yeah. Kind of see the same thing at work. Yeah, yeah. a gluttonous yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. man, yeah. a drunkard. Yeah. A friend of tax yeah. Nothing that we would see. Like a dry Yep.
8: Yeah. Yes, sir. So just real quick, because he brought that up. I was I just looked back to see, because he's reading from Isaiah 61, right. and I was wondering if that was a half portion of one of the portions, like the traditional cycle, mm-hmm. um, I, I know a lot of people say he was on the three-year cycle, so I don't know about that one. But it was interesting because the one that it corresponds to, not perfectly, but would be the one in Deuteronomy, and that's the uh, where it talks about like I think it's Deuteronomy 30, where it talks about that God will come and circumcise your heart in preparation for the new mm-hmm. covenant, which is really cool that he read that particular haftarah because mm-hmm. that assuming that was the portion, but. Um, what I was going to mention was along the lines of relating the counting of the Omer and like Shavuot to the Yovel. Somebody had pointed that out, and that this year was what I I just didn't even think of the, that correlation before because the fiftieth day being the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, Shavuot, and corresponding to the fiftieth year where like freedom is proclaimed mm-hmm. for for all of the slaves, and it's funny because more more often than not people see. The Torah is like, um, like you know, traditional understanding is like, oh, all these laws and rules. It's like extra stuff that you have to do. But of course, we know that the Torah isn't burdensome, and in fact, there is freedom within the law. So it's cool how it's it's a suggestion of that by both being fifty that the Torah was given on the fiftieth day of the counting, and then um, also like that's the the time when the slaves are freed. Wow.
2: The day after it's the seventh, seventh. yeah. Long. For those who haven't uh, seen the, uh-huh.
0: the uh, Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston recently, he actually <laughs> okay. he actually quotes from this portion, the last line in the movie is Charlton Heston reading what you just said to proclaim liberty throughout the land. All have. He's, he's quoting literally and what's
8: interesting about that too because I, I was trying to look up like other places where freedom was mentioned and this was just so cool, I overlooked this verse every year but like in 2 Corinthians 3 it says now the, the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom yeah. Mm. which is cool, because obviously we know the Spirit was present at Mount Sinai. I mean, it was one of the, the most incredible manifestations of the Spirit at that point. That's right. But then, like to again correspond it with freedom uh, during the Yobel, and that being an incredible outpouring of the Spirit based on like the fact that it's a year where you're not doing anything, yet things are happening.
2: It's pretty cool.
3: Absolutely, and I think that one of the things the sages say, that they, this passage begins with Bihar, it's on the Mount, on the Sinai. And the sage is kind of like, that's weird. <laughs> We've been there for like 35 chapters. Why are we mentioning that again? And um, they, they tie that in to the Shemitah because they say that um, Shemitah is representative of that, that awesomeness of God at Sinai. It's like when they're on Sinai, they see God's sovereignty over the world. You know, there's smoke and there's fire and there's like thunder. And, and this particular concept of keeping Shemitah is is essentially acknowledging that awesomeness of God um, in the midst of the in the midst of obedience there. So let's see it's a pretty short portion. It's mostly the same subject. Um, I thought one of the things that, that's not even me this is kind of cool that I appreciate a lot of, is the fact that um, the land and the people both belong to God. I thought that was cool. Because um, I think that a lot of times when we, when we ask questions like how does God have the right in a sense to like make some of these rules they're, they're pretty dramatic rules but he actually very rarely um, one of the things I have learned about being a God, the head of a household is you don't always want to give your reasons sometimes you think to yourself I've got a really good reason why I think we should do this and you tell your reason and you lose all the support for your idea so sometimes it's way better it's way no she always supports me but she doesn't always support my reasons sometimes it's way better to to not give your reasons but and actually we see that from god there's some of these commandments from god it's like i have no idea why we're, like even solomon couldn't figure out the red heifer we have no clue what's going on here but he said to do that so that's cool but every now and again god will give like a reason he will say you do this because of this and this is one of the reason times and god explicitly says you're gonna you're gonna let the land lay fallow you can't you can't keep it forever you gotta give it back on the 50th year because it's mine. I own it. It's the same thing about the people. Because mm-hmm. notice, he doesn't say anything wrong. I mean, this not to shock people, but slavery is not actually evil. I apologize in advance to anyone slavery. who... Yeah. Well, okay. But indentured servitude, selling yourself as a person, which I think most of Americans consider employment, um, yeah. uh, is not necessarily... Um, inherently wrong It's all about the way that it's done yeah. And in this particular case um, God's rules are actually different Depending on who it is Not because God thinks Jews are better Than Gentiles Although, I mean, Jews are pretty quick, so, you know. But the point is The gut reason God gives is I own them I got them out of slavery They're my people You can't own what I already own but those people who live next door, I don't own them. They, you know, they're their own people, so yeah, you can own them. Like that's, they're their own, their own entity, in a sense. Whereas God has specifically purchased the people of Israel. Same thing with the land, which I think is kind of cool. I'm a slave. I mean, yeah, if you think about the irony, of course, is that we kind of freak out about, about that topic. But if you, if you actually watch sports, you want to talk about slavery. I mean, these guys have literally given their lives over for a uh, five to seven year period. For a certain amount of compensation, of course. But nonetheless, they can't just say, you know, I'm really not feeling like playing for you anymore. I want to play for those guys. That that, that doesn't work. The uh, military is the same way. Yeah, yeah. those
7: things. Are yeah, absolutely. You just so. sell yourself to them. Four years, it's like... Or 20. 20. 20. <laughs> <laughs> just right. To, just to support
8: your point, one of the things in the commentary was that notain is in the present tense, which is to give. So when God says, like when you come into the land that I give you, it's present tense, it's being given Uh, every single day, so it's always a gift, right? and it's always viewed as a gift.
1: That's very cool. Same tense as we use
3: when we
9: bless him for no change the Torah. Yeah, Yeah, because
3: God continues to give us the Torah.
9: He also says, uh, you know, to your point about the people in the land, he says be careful to observe, you know, or to do, right? so that the land not vomit you out. So right. Before you. right. And, uh, it's literally
3: God's, and it's a special entity. Yes. Like, it doesn't... Um, it's almost like, it's kind of like with uh, with Yeshua, when he's talking to the... Um, or rather, John, he's talking to the Pharisees. Yeah. And Yohanan, uh, John the Baptist, says, don't think to yourself, oh, I'm a child of Abraham. I am all good. And he's like, God can make these stones children yeah. of Abraham. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, and this particular issue is almost like the same thing, though. It's like they're, they're only who they are because God's made them that. Mm-hmm. And God owns them. And because God owns them, they have special responsibilities to each other. Yes, Lori?
12: Along those lines, last week's car shot about the festivals, I think it's kind of neat in that same thread, because <coughs> the whole reason for celebrating the festivals is God, is not Hashem. It says, you know, you can celebrate a seven-day feast to Hashem. This is a feast, even the opening says... It's the Feast of Hashem. The Sabbath for Hashem. So if you don't really believe in God, does it doesn't really make sense to do that. <laughs> I mean, culturally, you know, it's fun to have a sukkah and whatever, but, like, fundamentally, like, God established these things for him. For
3: right. And they're not easy. and they're, they're a little weird, honestly. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, you're, if you've ever built a sukkah in your backyard, your neighbor's kind of asking What what is, what is that? But, yeah. but it's cool. It's very worth doing. Yeah. Brock and Pete and so, uh,
7: going back to, what you were saying earlier about how um, in the sixth year it's a weaker year, so in the spiritual sense it's, it's weaker, you know, leaders aren't as strong and things like that. Uh, uh, one thing that I thought while reading this is, you know, the Shemitah year, well, the land of Israel can observe that, they can. Maybe they don't observe exact way, but they can because they're in the land. Right, but there's also laws regarding the Levites, and we don't know really, there's no, like, you can't go to Israel and point at Levite. They know. Well, Israelis they seem know. to know them.
3: Actually, believe it or not, I'm not joking. There's a there's a tour that drives. It's a deep tour that drives around the old city, but it drives over the the Ghinom Valley where like they, they 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 killed people and whatever else back way and back in the day. And it, there's also grave sites and things out in that area. And if you're a Levite, they won't let you on the tour
0: because you can't drive because over. you're not supposed
3: to be touching dead things. But continue. But I mean, there's no, like there's not. I mean, to my knowledge, there's no like
7: core like you know. Oh, that's where the Levites live. Oh, okay, so I, I guess what I, what I what I was thinking is that just like it take an act of God to you know make a you know not really spiritually strong uh, generation strong, it also take an act of God to
3: bring the Levites back so that they can observe Absolutely. these Shemitah laws. Well, at the very least, we're going to have to have some sort of act of God to get us the uh, all the purification, red heifer, all that stuff because right. um, they've been trying for a while and it just nothing's coming up. Yes, sir. Right. Oh, Pete, you have to talk. You raise your hand. Okay. Um, it's a rule. Well, <laughs> it in it's a couple no, right. Go ahead. i talking about um, uh,
8: slaves, like Israel's slave to God. Right. Moving from slave of Egypt to slave to God. And it says in the Torah that they're slaves to God. It also says they're sons of God. right. And so there's a... Um, so you're feeling this, right? Attention to <laughs> Like Which are they? Because they like, wouldn't be treated the same way. And... Knock uh, says that you—it's a level. You have to ascend through being a servant of God, so mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you're having to subject your or subdue your, your ego and do <coughs> do the misfold out of uh, fear, which uh, and then you can become a, a son of God, which is
3: doing the misfold out of love. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely a theme that the, the, the sage's commentary on fear and love is. You know, you might think to yourself, well, "I don't really want to do this, so I should wait till I want to." And the sage said, "No, go ahead. Go ahead and do it, mm-hmm. even if you don't want to. But you work your way to wanting to." Yes,
0: sir. Um, for those of you who were thinking, which Nachman are you talking about? Um, if it were Nachmanides, Nachmanides, the "ades" at the end of that means "sun up." So he was the son of Nachman. Nahman. His not real name was Moses. Nahman. It was Moshe Soft and f- Nachman. So if he's also talking about ben Rabbi Nachman,
4: that's not nahman. that guy. He's talking about Na-Na-Na. na 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 That's
0: right. Yeah, the right.
3: a- yeah. singing guy. That's right. Oh, man. I didn't get to talk yet. Oh, I was saying, you just talked. Gee whiz. Hey, I'm a noob. All right. So two things. First off,
0: to your point, that God can raise up sons of Abraham from the stones. He did that in me. Because I was dead. I was afar off. I was as good as a rock when it came to serving Hashem. And he's done that in my life. And in almost every Gentile that, that knows him. In the heart of stone. There it is. Okay, so today uh, 4th of June the 4th of June, that would be June 4. 4th of June, June 4. Or today. Sivan, June. Sivan 6. <laughs> Sivan 6 is, is Shavuot, June 4. There'll be a service here at 10 o'clock for us to pray the Shakri prayers during that. Uh, what do you call it? The morning service? Shakri? Shakri on that. uh Yom yeah, yeah, Thank you.
3: Gee, well, this is a tough crowd. And if, you, and if you've been hanging out all night reading the Torah the night before, just drive over. That's right. So We're not going to hang out here. So we're doing that.
0: Um, <laughs> we're going to have a special focus after the prayers on making sure that everyone who comes understands the parallel from the sages, from the Talmud, between when the Torah was given originally, that we're reading about now, on the Mount Bahar. And the second time that Shavuot was celebrated in that fashion, the Spirit was poured out. So it's going to be an exciting time. You're going to want to come, and we're going to have Oneg and you know. It, it could today. be windy.
4: It could be windy. And fiery. There you go. All right, so. now, if
3: you would like to spare your wife the, the need of having to host that yes. my wife is reminding me over here that we actually talked about being open to having it at our house I didn't say it was going
0: to be here I said we were having a service It turns out it's going to be at his house It is important that we all be able to say to our friends to our friends that are still celebrating their faith Pentecost. in the church, that we want to be able to tell them that what we do on Pentecost, what they read about in the Apostolic Scriptures in Acts chapter 2, is only written that way, so that those in the know would recognize, we saw this movie before. So we're going to discuss that and we're going to make sure that, that you can leave being able to describe it adequately
3: your friends in the church. And we're going to be praying for the mock sore some that morning? Yes. If you don't have a mock sore for Shavuot, you're probably going to want to buy one. Which, by the way, is extremely worthy because worthwhile investment. If you pray for the mock sore. you know, so that by the time you're done, you never gone. want to sin ever again because yes. you're so incredibly impressed with how cool God is. You can come as your sitter,
0: but even if you flip back and forth, you'll find that what turns out to be I think the vast majority of the time we're praying... well the coolest is, stuff yeah is not actually in your sitter only the major pieces are and the cool messianic stuff is actually in the mock source you want to you want to get that comp- that uh, shovel of mock probably paper and uh, probably on sale. yeah
3: and it's probably on sale and
0: if it's not on sale wait till the next day and it will be <laughs> <laughs>
2: Marianne, you gonna-
0: oh
3: I had a
5: Similar experience to I think you said it was Gideon earlier. Mm-hmm. We are Gideon in autumn. And I, I know that she is with child, so they're in the Caribbean. No, they just the got back. Yeah. They've been in the Caribbean. Oh, he's they? there. Anyway, um, I had always worked Monday through Fridays, office ran. Never thought Saturday, Sunday at all. Came to ended up with this job where. Six seven months into it, the employer said, "Oh, guess what? We're working on Sunday," and I thought, "Oh my! I have no idea. There must be something I should have to think about here. What are my responsibilities? Because I guess because it's quote, the Lord's the day, Sabbath. yeah. Lord's so I'm praying on the way home. Please help me figure this out. You know, I mean, I I need to know. Do I, You know, I needed a job. I was alone. It was." Well, what was I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. kind of obvious that I was thinking, I'm going to have to quit this job. Right. So I get up, <laughs> and Alistair Bay is on the radio, and his sermon that night is about the Sabbath, and he's basically saying, the
2: Sabbath is Saturday,
5: but we, you know, whatever, I'm sure you've all heard the whole thing, but Sunday, yada, yada. But that made me think, and so I started reading, and that—long uh, story short—that's how I'm sitting here today. Oh,
3: cool. right. Yeah. All right. He tried to keep the wrong day. You know, I mean, but I God said, said, "Wait, wait, wait! I know. It's okay. Right? So it's a, don't kill your son. You There's a day. ram right <laughs> over there. It's <laughs> all good. It's a good
4: thing yeah. to work on Sunday and tell everybody you're working on. That. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> work on the first day was of the week." Or mightily and that
5: process. made me start thinking about the connection of obedience and blessing, right. but I also admit that I have a tendency to want the blessings quickly, I think, or to know truth. I'm afraid when they're not quick, or, or you know, when I can't recognize the sometimes I'm being blessed and Duh. I don't right. even know it you know? Well, but, but I don't like that feeling of maybe, am I doing something wrong? Mm.
3: Well, yeah, it's like the Shemitah year. I mean, like uh, Taylor was saying, you know, God's going to bless them with the stuff of the seventh year. But that's not the really big surprise. It was the year after that that they're going, Oh, we're still eating this stuff. That's amazing. Um, and, and sometimes that's the way it feels, too. Like God can defer those blessings until later. But I do think that that's true with, um, in general. Like when we obey God's commandments, he's promised to bless us. It doesn't always come the way that we expect it, though. Well, I think we're actually about that time. So um, I know there's there's not a lot to this portion; it's pretty short. But anything else? Anybody else saw cool points they want to bring up? sorry, (laughs) my back's been to you. No, that's fine. fine. It,
8: It was just it was cool that the portion ends with a reminder of the commandment not to make idols or mess with idolatry at all. Only because I feel like at times when something almost seems, like, magical. The way that the Shemitah year is, like, its it looks like magic to <laughs> other people. It's like, how the heck did you get so many, so much fruit this year? You didn't do anything different than the year before, but it's because God does that. I mean, even with the double portion of the man. Talk about miracle grow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so So it's cool that, like, at those moments when it, it like the people that are keeping it know that it's God, but to, to the world it could seem, like, a bit, like, spooky almost, it's just a a good reminder to go to say, hey, by the way, this is God, you know, make sure that you don't slip into idolatry, and you start experimenting with other things and manipulating nature in ways that it's not supposed to be. And isn't
3: that funny, because we just got done talking about God Uh, with the Shemitah year and how he's going to provide for them, but that was the whole point of idolatry, right? The whole point of, I mean, the only reason why they were bowing to, like, these rocks and and trees is because if I do that, it rains. So, like, um, Judaism—not to freak people out too much, too mystical here—but Judaism teaches that um, idolatry, at some level, does engage spiritual forces. Of course. So there are there are spiritual entities, um, demonic or angelic, however you want to describe them, that have power. So when you when you when you give them some degree of allegiance or activity obedience, they had enough authority given by God that they could manipulate nature on your behalf, and that was the whole point of idolatry. It worked technically. And so but so God is saying, whoa, 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 you deal with me. You don't deal with them, you deal with me. And that takes a degree of faith because it means that I have to trust God is gonna do it when it's working for that guy over there. And in the Shemitah year is the same thing. I mean that's that's a really big step of faith. So not only are you not gonna be idolatrous, but then you're gonna like not even do the normal human wow. thing, but you're gonna trust that God's gonna provide for you. And ultimately, that's God's point. He's saying, Don't that's the whole thing with like the prophets. Don't go to like these fortune tellers and, and, and you know uh, all these different type of prognosticators that are tapping into the dead. You need to you need to trust me to tell you what you need to know, and um, and I think that that's definitely true for us too. Today is how we when we approach our lives, whether it's keeping Shabbat, whether it's um, you know not not lying to your to keep stay out of trouble or whatever the case may be. When we keep we choose to keep God's laws in contravention to the advice of modern days we are, in a sense, kind of almost like a, avoiding that modern idolatry where I'm going to trust what makes sense to me and that what makes sense to God. Yes, sir?
4: Actually, that was such an excellent summary, I hesitate to say it. <laughs> um, just considering everybody here talking about the Torah, from this week's Pre-Kayvot, uh, Mishnah 7, Rabbi ben Bendosa of Kfar Khanania says, if ten people sit together and engage in Torah study, the divine presence is among them. As it says, God stands in the assembly of God. How do we know this is true for even five? For it is said, he has established his bundle upon the earth. How do we know this is true of even three? For it is said, in the midst of judges he shall judge. How do we know this is true even for two? For it is said, those who fear Adonai spoke to one another, and Adonai listened and heard. How do we know this is true even of one? For it is said, in every place where I cause my name to be mentioned, I will come to you and bless you. Amen. Amen.
3: Absolutely, and if you're not reading the perquet vote, then then you should be doing so. We're doing that every Shabbat. Um, then. Did you have comment? Yeah, it
5: has absolutely nothing to do with the, the Torah portion, but go home and call your mom and tell her you, you love her. Happy Amen. Night. Good um, girl. Want to get that in before tomorrow?
3: Oh. All right, tomorrow is Mother's Day as well, so. um. well, You did a great job. What do you say? Amen. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Let me close with the prayer.
0: Father I thank you for Joshua I thank you for his parents and for the heritage that he's raising Father I pray that you would bless him you'd bless his wife you'd bless his work And Father you'd bless each of us with an understanding of who you are what you require and how we might serve you properly as we count the Omer in obedience to your command Father we pray that you would illuminate our eyes that you would allow us to see more deeply into your word and understand your character and that our relationship with you would be strengthened and the connection we have through the mitzvot, the commandments would be evident amongst all that see us I pray a special blessing, Father, all of the mothers in our community, that we would properly honor them tomorrow. All God's people say.
2: Amen. Amen. Oh, just press stop.